0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the September 18th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DiZutti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. Mayor Hancock presented his proposed 2021 budget, including major cuts and planned furloughs, as the city grapples with a budget gap of $190 million. Meanwhile, the mayor also criticized the city council for voting down the negotiated contract with the Denver Police Protective Association. Patty Cahoon from Westward, Uh, last week you talked about the perils uh, that could uh, come up when you don't include city council representatives for the entire negotiation. And your words were prophetic seeing their reaction. Looking at this budget, looking at the reaction to the contract negotiations, what's the next step? Where do we go from here?
1: Well, the next step in the police negotiations are they're back at the table, presumably with city council having a seat there, which city council was always supposed to have. That was the problem. City council finds throughout three days into the negotiations that they've been left out which is just proof you cannot buy common sense. You might be able to hire communication staff, but if you want to have city council pass your bargaining agreement, you actually invite them to be along on the bargaining. So we'll see. I don't think they're gonna want it to go to binding arbitration, so presumably the next step will work out. Uh, With the budget, everybody is grappling with bad budgets, except maybe people who invested early in Zoom. 10%, 10 10.6% is, I think, what the budget is cut. That actually is horrifying, but better than so many cities around this country. It is going to be very tough to make it work, and I don't think it's going to look any rosier as we see what's happening with business and sales tax over the winter. But um, furloughs, the cuts that Hancock is suggesting, they make sense. It is not going to be easy to do this. The big question will be, will people vote to tax themselves more in in November when they're already dealing with their own budgets, again, unless they invested in Zoom?
0: David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Um, $190 million is uh, nothing to sneeze at. As uh, Patty said, a little over 10% of the budget. Are Denverites going to start feeling some of these cuts as we get into 2021?
2: Um, Sure, especially the the lower-income people who who depend the the most on that. Um, But this gets into a a broader problem with with the the budget, not just this year, but going uh, forward to have those social services program for, programs for poor people, you need wealthy people so you can tax them and take their money and spend it on the social services. And uh, I, there is a possibility that the budget problem that Denver is facing for this upcoming year is going to actually look like pretty good times compared to what, what's going to be coming in the future uh, because wealthier people have more of an ability to choose where they want to live and work you got 100,000 people who work downtown, and they pay Denver's occupational privilege tax, as it's called. Well, how many of them have been working at home and find out it's not really such a great privilege to work in downtown Denver anymore, uh, And uh, not only for the taxes, but also for the, the danger uh, that the, uh, has grown substantially in, in this city? And or why live in Denver? The, the public school buildings are closed, rioting is semi-legal. Uh, it's not as attractive a place to live as it might have seemed a couple of years ago. You start a small business, you grow it into a big business, employ a lot of people with good paying jobs, pay a lot of taxes. There's a lot of demagogue politicians in Denver who say you're the problem and the solution is to confiscate all your wealth. So why live in Denver with all the extra expenses in the city with a soaring homicide rate when you can maybe choose to live someplace else. Now, the the Denver exodus thus far hasn't been anything close uh, to how bad it it is in New York City, Uh, but we may see much more of that, and that's going to make Denver's budget problems in the future perhaps far, far worse than they are today.
0: And David, there might be a nexus at least maybe in the coming. But I mean, at Denver, house prices at six hundred thousand dollars. You know, going over that right now, it, 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 it's not immediate. It's
2: the the housing prices have been more or less stable, right? So that that would be a difference compared to say New York City, right, uh, where where uh, prices are, are plunging,
0: right. Eric Sondman, uh, a political analyst here at PBS 12 and, of course, a columnist at uh, Color Politics. Uh, Eric, we've seen a lot of the drama between the city council and the mayor. Are we going to see even more of it now that we're talking about major budget issues and an important uh, police contract negotiation?
3: Uh, of course you are. That's predictable. Good points by both Patty and by David. Uh, we will see vis-a-vis the police uh, contract negotiations, whether this was really just a process Issue a process complaint on the part of city council, and now that they're at the table, whether there will be uh some coming a meeting of the minds coming to an accord and uh and and get this done, which it needs to get done, or whether the objections at least from some council members, if not a majority, are more fundamental than just whether they are at the table or not. Uh, $190 million or whatever the exact number is that's being cut, you cannot cut that kind of money, as we all know, without increasing tensions, without pitting different interests uh, against each other. By and large, I don't have a huge criticism of Hancock's budget in that regard with the exception, and it's not directly in this budget, but it strikes me as curious and questionable, the amount of money that we continue to spend on these, what I call mega projects. I'm talking about the 16th Street Mall reconstruction. I'm talking about building this incredible shopping mall as part of the DIA restoration. And most of all, I'm talking about the project at the convention center, as if we're all gonna wake up a few months from now, a half year or a year from now, and conventions are going to look just like they did pre-COVID. I'm not convinced that is going to be the case. Yes, the money that is spent on these uh, mega projects is not directly money that could otherwise go to plug some holes in this budget. But nonetheless, I think that is worthy of more discussion than, uh, than maybe it's receiving at the moment.
0: Marie, Marie A. and Marie Aberger joins us from Be Clear Communications. Marie, it's great to have you back on CIO. Uh, you look at all the different things that come together and clearly can probably use a communications expert like yourself to figure out how to uh, pitch the creative ideas needed to handle a, a budget gap like this one. When you're seeing these headlines, what are some of the thoughts that occur to you?
4: So I think it's pretty straightforward, actually, what we need right now to help Denver's budget, which is for our federal government to actually act and pass some relief for cities and states. Uh, Our House came together on a bipartisan basis on May 15th to pass major relief for cities and states. It's September 18th. That's four months. And we have received nothing. Um, McConnell, Republicans in the Senate, including our our own Cory Gardner, are, you know, meanwhile fighting to cut unemployment aid at a time when we need it most. I think if we had the federal government step up and act, we'd have more support for our budget. But until then, we're going to keep seeing devastating numbers and cuts like this. And if people don't wear our masks and we don't keep, you know, behaving in social distancing, I'm worried this number is only going to grow. So I hope in Colorado we can socially distance, keep our masks on, and I hope the federal government steps up to support. And I should just add, as a... Uh, A proud resident of downtown Denver. Uh, I still love living here. I'm not planning to go anywhere and I hope our city and state gets the support we deserve to keep making downtown a great place to live.
0: The mayor designated a small piece of Denver-owned property as a sanctioned homeless camp earlier this week here in Denver but promptly canceled that plan days later due to multiple reasons including neighborhood opposition. At this time there are no other sanctioned sites planned but other conversations on the horizon. Uh, Dave we go to you first in this one. I don't know if there's any other cities with the magic solution, but it doesn't seem that we've been able to crack this sanctioned site uh, nut here in Denver. Do you think we're going to see uh, more solutions based on sanctioned sites?
2: Well, you remember when John Hickenlooper was the mayor of Denver and he said we were going to end homelessness in in the city, which uh, turned out not to be accurate. You know, the the phrase homeless or experiencing homeless, one's a euphemism, another, another's a, a double euphemism, uh, because not having a home is is a symptom. And the underlying, until you address the underlying causes of that, things aren't going to really get better. Uh, many people who are experiencing homelessness are, are doing so because of drug and alcohol abuse. Many of the rest have serious mental illness. and. People understandably don't want drug abusers, alcoholics, and people with mental illness camping near their home, and so that's why the plan uh, recently to put people in the in five points in the, the Blair Caldwell Library parking lot ran into a lot of very understandable neighborhood opposition. There, there is one approach that, that worked in the past, which doesn't depend on getting, and there's, there's all kinds of programs out there for free for people who want treatment for mental health, for drugs, for alcohol, uh, but you can't force somebody to be, be treated if, if they don't want to be. But without solving that problem, the problem of homelessness Of people living on the streets in Denver was a lot less in the 1970s when the economy was certainly a lot weaker than it's in Denver than it's been in the past few years. And that because we had single room occupancy hotels. And those were very bare bones places where a person could rent a room for a a night, for a week, for a month. There were plenty of them all over Denver and, and lots all over the United States. And a lot of people who were on the margins we're able to afford an SRO, get some shelter, and, and get off the streets. But all those single-room occupancy hotels have been wiped out by urban redevelopment um, and, in, in effect, often forbidden by, by new zoning codes. So if we fix that, that would at least provide a more immediately effective solution about giving people an alternative to the streets. But if you allow, allow urban camping, um, you're gonna drive the, you'll have the campers, but you'll drive out other people who want to uh, live there. Eric, do you see
0: any uh, solutions, at least to the sanctioned site idea? I mean, we've already seen one of the, uh, one of the ideas with the National Washington Stock Show Complex parking lot. That was shelled. This one was going to be really small. For folks who don't know the, the Five Points neighborhood where PBS-12 is, this, uh, this sanctioned site was a little bigger than an alley. So we're not talking about losing you know uh, major space here. But I don't know if there's going to be any site that uh, Mayor Hancock or the city can come up with that won't see this kind of opposition. What do you think, Eric?
3: Well, just for the sake of argument, Dominic, and to play a little bit with words, I'll make the case that we have dozens of sanctioned sites around the city right now, and many of them within a few blocks of where you and Patty and David are at uh, at PBS 12 as as we tape this show. If you're not enforcing a camping ban, if you are allowing these pop-up sites, uh, 5 five tens, 10 tenths, 20, 30 tenths, you're not officially sanctioning them, but in a way you are sanctioning them because you're not doing anything about them. So they stay, they grow, they multiply, they proliferate. Uh, of course, we need some, a better city-coordinated response. It was 100% com- uh, predictable that uh, there would be neighborhood objection to that site, four, five, six blocks from where, where all you guys are right now, uh, near the Blair-Caldwell Library. That was totally predictable. At some point, there's going to have to be some meeting of the minds. It can't just be one site. There has to be some dispersal throughout the city, so at least some of the pain and some of the burden. Is is shared or at least it is spread around um, so that no one neighborhood just feels that they're being the ones put upon. This calls for leadership and it calls for tough decision making. And after those decisions are made, it calls for staying the course and being willing to take some heat.
0: Maria, I can't imagine for any uh, city official, any, any official of some sort of uh, stature is going to want to announce a plan and then say, no, never mind, uh, a couple days later. So uh, clearly the, the, that, that was uh, uh, not intended, but certainly a problem that is going to be the first question any, the next time any other solution comes up. Um, what do you think might be a productive step for uh, officials handling this moving forward?
4: Sure. I mean, I think the difficulty here reflects the fact that there is really no great solution. But the fact of the matter is the status quo isn't working for anyone. It's not working for the housed, and it's not working for the unhoused. And the best thing we can do is have a safe space where basic services are provided. We need to put aside the scare tactics that downtown is a scary place to be, that, you know, It's scary to have this near us. We need to put that aside to say we are all better off if there is a safe place with basic services. And then from there, I think the next step for our leaders is kind of like this proverb I actually heard this week, which is nothing is more permanent than a temporary solution. We have to make sure whatever we put in place is actually temporary and we don't let it become the permanent way housing is done in Denver. We have to work towards more affordable housing, to get more people out of the camps and into affordable housing. Um, but I think it just reflects this is a tough situation with no good solution. If there was an easy solution to tackling homelessness in the city, everyone would be doing it.
0: Uh, Patty, uh, we just finished talking about the Denver City budget. A big part of that is looking at homeless uh, uh, issues. Do you think there might be a solution in the offing somewhere in there?
1: Well, we're looking at $71 million next year in the budget, and we're also looking at the possibility of raising a tax This is another communication problem. We had the Curtis Park neighbors propose the site at the Blair Caldwell Library. So that's interesting. It's a neighborhood willing to step up. Unfortunately, and it's another communication mess by the city, they didn't talk about what the neighbors on the other side, on Welton Street, about the possibility of putting that site in that lot. So a lot of them heard about it from a Facebook post from Michael Hancock. And at that point, you know, the Welton businesses got a lawyer, they got a PR person. It was a dead deal at that point. So that was a mistake by the city. We've had five months to come up with a site, which is a smart idea. They're talking about, say, maybe three sites, no more than 50 tents at them. Access to the kind of services that David is talking about, a transition point to help people get off the streets, go get addiction counseling if they need it, go maybe find another place to live. It is really wrong that we don't have this now because as you see, as Eric said, we have many, many unofficial encampments. Let's, go, let's revisit Denver Coliseum. We're not going to have the stock show there this year. No one is having big events there. There's room for 50 tents there. There's room for 40 people is what they were talking about on Welton Street somewhere. Maybe we can come up with a compromise. They should put one in every city council district.
0: Colleges and high schools in Colorado are dealing with COVID 19 outbreaks, including sending some students home for remote learning or implementing quarantines. Meanwhile, Governor Polis and Chasa came to an accord regarding fall sports. Which will move forward, Eric? We go to you first on this one. Um, a, a, a lot of education back and forth in this one, especially hearing Chassa and Governor Polis working on fall sports, which is in it's by itself in that I guess part of the pun, a little own little bubble sounds great. But then you have schools making headlines right underneath that, saying this many hundred going home, this many quarantine. It, it seems like an odd, uh, odd situation for our schools to be in. What are your takeaways?
3: Oh, it is a tough situation it's totally unenviable i do not envy obviously any school superintendent any school principal these days having to navigate this having to make tough decisions and all that said some districts seem to be doing it better and navigating it better than others dps in particular just strikes me as being lost yes there is still a marker three or four weeks ahead in october where they are hoping to open schools again throughout the district i don't think anyone is holding their breath for that there haven't been specific metrics announced of what it will require to open those schools most families most kids don't even know who their teacher is going to be when they go back into class because they don't know how many classroom teachers are going to be required vis-a-vis how many online teachers so if you want to, there's some better, there are no great examples, but there are better examples and there are worse examples. Unfortunately, I think DPS falls in that second category. And as to Chassa and Governor Polis, yes, there's a strong, strong constituency for fall sports. I guess it's good that that is going to ensue even at a late date. And the real news flash to me, Dominic, of this week is that cheering or, or sideline cheer is a sport. Hey, my,
0: my uh, uh, sister is a former POM. She'll uh, she be the first one to tell you that's definitely a sport. Uh, Marie, let's go to you. You look at all the different things schools are trying to do, and you see what's happening with uh, uh, the different uh, colleges and universities around the state all doing uh, their own uh, dance around this between quarantines and sending uh, some students home, moving different dorms, that kind of thing. Um, is the everybody making up their own rules system working?
4: No, it's, it's not working. And I think just this week now, we have four universities in Colorado that have become hot hotspots. Um, I think I feel the same way about colleges going back as I do about fall sports. Neither should be happening. I think a lot of colleges made the decisions to come back because they had to for their profit. And they decided it was not a matter of if and when, but how bad their outbreaks would be. And as we're seeing all across the country and now here in Colorado, the outbreaks are bad and we cannot be putting college profits ahead of people. It will be a huge budget hit and it'll be a huge bummer. I loved college. I I, I feel so terribly for these students who aren't getting a traditional college experience. But I think the far greater cost is gonna come if we keep trying to open colleges, we keep trying to have fall sports um, and the outbreak continues and we're in this cycle for even longer. So I would have loved to see colleges step up and not come back this fall. And I'd love to see fall sports uh, be on hold. Again, It it's really, it's such a disappointment for students, but these students are not getting paid to play and we're putting them in danger. And, you know, I think, this might be the fall I finally give up on college football because I can't handle seeing people out there playing and, and these risks um, not being paid to do so.
0: Somewhere Joey Bunch is having a very big argument with you right now, Marie, <laughs> but <laughs> that's okay. Uh, Patty, we go to you. Uh, there's uh, we're, we're, We've always had students in class, one form or another, uh, in most places for almost a month. Sometimes the less, is a little bit more. Are these kind of the growing pains of trying to figure it out because we're in the early part of it, or is it going to get worse?
1: Depends a lot on whether students, and, and they're all ages, learn social distancing more. That's the bigger issue you're seeing. I don't think from you're not getting this from classes. You're probably getting it from parties at in Boulder. You're getting it where students are too close together. With the high school sports issue, it's so tricky because that's really a rural urban issue in a lot of ways. The rural counties where the numbers are very, very low for COVID, where the opportunity for any kind of activities and any kind of economic benefit are pretty slim right now. So, if they can take charge of their own destiny, just as five counties have allowed them to, they're now in the protect our neighbors level where they can do more. If they can do it safely, let's try just no pyramids on the chairs.
0: <laughs> David, wrap it up for us.
2: Well, we know a couple things scientifically. First of all, the, the hospitalization rate for young people who get infected with this virus that was maliciously spread globally by the Chinese Communist Party, the hospitalization rate for young people is, is very, very low. And secondly, we also know that social isolation is particularly damaging for young people. The, the new announcement this week allows field hockey, football, and sideline spirit, as it's properly called, uh, to choose to go forward this fall, or they can choose to wait on the spring, that's a decision that different districts and different schools have the option of making on their own. And But if they go forward now, they have to have masks when they're not playing, be six feet apart on the sidelines, what I wonder about is that the other fall sports that are still left: gymnastics, boys' soccer, spirit, which I guess is different from sideline spirit, girls' volleyball, and uh, unified bowling. Now it's hard to see, for me to see, why if football is okay, which is a contact sport where you're very close to each other, why soccer isn't, which does have necessarily more more distancing in it. And then the governor's office has also denied indoor sports. Well, bowling alleys are open, so why can't high school students go to a bowling alley to bowl? And likewise, gyms in this state are open with appropriate guidelines, so why can't people participate in gymnastics or volleyball or other indoor sports?
0: I know it's, it may not necessarily be sanctioned, but as my walk around my neighborhood yesterday, I saw a whole lot of people playing at least recreational or some form of recreational yeah. soccer. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's going on one way or the yeah. other. It's time now to get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off.
1: Well, I think we're going to see a lot of disgraceful discussions as we now are looking at renaming different geographic areas in Colorado, deciding on different statues that can be here. We had the first meeting on Thursday of the Geographic Naming Board for Colorado. We haven't had one for four, four years. Who knew that's why all these requests weren't being dealt with? There are three requests going forward for Mount Evans. There are many others to get rid of, some controversial names, some just stupid names. We'll see what happens. At the very least, what we'll get is some good history lessons.
2: David? Well, a a good documentary about a a serious problem uh, just premiered last night. It's called Denver and Decay, uh, put together by radio host uh, Stephen Tubbs. And among the people who appear in it is CIO's uh, Penfield Tate, who's always very articulate, as always. And uh, uh, Westward has has covered it. Uh, 25% of this, uh, and the title tells you all about what what it's about, 25% of of the revenue they make from that is going to be given to the STEP program, uh, which is a private organization in Denver that helps people who are ready to take the steps uh, to escape from homelessness.
0: Eric, we go to you next for your Disgrace of the Week.
3: It is one thing to disagree with decisions, disagree with policies. But in this case, there it's, it's more a moral question. There's been a fundamental immorality to the president and, and his campaign this week. The idea of putting people at risk and indoor rallies in close proximity. And yes, those people are going there willingly and knowingly, but the president is the one who is paid to lead, he should know better. These ideas of indoor rallies in Arizona, Wisconsin, Nevada, et cetera, is shameful. This notion that is being promulgated of slavery that uh, stay at home owners or stay at home orders are somehow tantamount to slavery throughout history is ridiculous on its face and also immoral and then lastly his his statement about if you took the blue states out of covid that the government's done very well well you can't t- you don't divide america and americans that way and say well some states uh, count less than other states the whole the, the the fundamental moral foundation of this whole enterprise is in question
0: Marie we go to you for your disgrace of the week
4: Mine was a brutal revelation last night that there was a plan in early April to send five face masks to every house in the United States, and the White House blocked it. Um, You know, this comes on the heels of Denver surpassing 2,000 deaths this week. Uh, There was brutal and beautiful profiles of some of these uh, people who have died this weekend in the Denver Post. And to seeing that so many of these deaths could have been prevented if we had gotten face masks and information out to people just was a huge disgrace.
0: Senator, say something nice. We've been a little bit chatty today, so do it rather quickly. Patty?
4: Although I agree that
1: STEP is a great program, helped a relative of mine, let me just say this. Go downtown. Go to Larimer Square. Go to Union Station. Go to one of those restaurants. Walk around the Denver Art Museum. Yes, there are homeless issues and there have been here for years, but Denver downtown is a very pleasant place to be right now.
2: David? Justice Neil Gorsuch of Colorado and former Colorado Supreme Court Justice Rebecca Love Corliss teamed up to write an article in USA Today uh, about fixing the lack of access to legal services that people have. Too much overregulation of the legal profession makes it impossible for you to, you, you know, you go to Walmart, you can, get a, you can go to a dentist there, you can get your taxes done there, but you can't get somebody who's got the basic training to help you with legal issues.
3: Eric. Happy Rosh Hashanah to all the Jewish viewers out there. Lashana Tova. We get to turn the page on this awful year ahead of some other people turning that page.
0: It's quite the advantage in 2020. Marie.
4: Shout out to Red Rocks for pulling off Film on the Rocks, giving us all a little bit of normalcy, but in a way that saves socially distanced. and in our cars. It's, it's been a great thing to see.
0: Be sure to tune in next week for Colorado Science. It continues. We look at the 22-week abortion ban and paid family leave. And later tonight, please be sure to tune in to ARP special all about the effect of the coronavirus and on, on Latino communities right here at 9 o'clock. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.